Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by the Shift Career Summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work to help you take control of your career. The event is completely free and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Mitchell Kaplan. He's been a bookseller and has owned the independent bookstores Books and Books in Miami for well over 35 years. He's also the co-founder of the Miami Book Fair, and it's an international expose that really showcases some of the best authors around the world. I had this awesome conversation with Mitchell today because I wanted to first and foremost thank him. I kicked off my book tour for betting on you with Books and Books, and it was just such a lovely experience. He hosted me and Lulu Garcia. Garcia Navarro of NPR. And it was just such a fun way to begin my journey as an author. So we talk a little bit about that, but also what it's like to run a bookstore in the age of COVID. How do you motivate people? How do you let them know that you care about them physically, emotionally, and reassure them that work is a psychologically safe space? We also talk about creativity in the age of COVID. And I don't know, I just love this conversation. So Mitchell is eclectic. He's a bookstore owner. He started this book fair. He's got a podcast. And I think he's just someone you should know. So sit back and enjoy this really fun conversation with Mitchell Kaplan of Books and Books. Hey, Mitchell, welcome to the podcast. Lori, I thank you so much for having me on it. Oh, my goodness. My pleasure. You know, first and foremost, I want to thank you because I kicked off my pandemic book tour virtually at your store in Miami at Books and Books. And it was just such a delightful event. We had Lulu Garcia Navarro, a local Miami girl, come on and host the event. So why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you're all about, and what Books and Books is. Books and Books is a bookstore that I started almost 40 years ago. And I was obviously 12. No, I was a kid when we started it. But it was an independent bookstore. And we started it in Carl Gables, Florida, which is part of Miami, actually. And we've now grown. We moved that store across the street. It's a larger store with a cafe. It's got a really wonderful community spirit to it. And then we've opened four satellite stores in the South Florida area as well. So I've been in the book business now for that many years. And it was not the path most traveled, but I could not have imagined a better path to have chosen for myself. Well, you are a book guy. I'm going to use air quotes on a podcast that nobody can see, but you're not just a book guy. You are an entrepreneur, you're a business professional, you're in other lines of businesses. So tell us about the life that you've created over the past 40 years. Well, you know, it was interesting. I left law school to become a bookseller. I taught high school for a while and I thought I was going into that world where I'd sit behind a counter and read books and meet people as they came in. And, you know, I would lead a kind of more gentle kind of life, but never in a million years that I realize 
but I should have, that my type A personality took over and it made me want to do things that I never imagined that I would be doing. So among the things that I've done over the course of time is I started something called the Miami Book Fair along with Eduardo Padron of Miami-Dade College. And we are now in our 38th book fair. And along with the 400 authors that we bring in a year, that fair brings another four or 500 authors. So Uh, I never imagined that we would take what was thought of as a backwater literary community and turn it into what I think is one of the most vibrant literary communities in the country, actually. Why do you think Miami is such a vibrant literary community? Tell us about it. Well, when I opened and began the book fair, I would speak to a publisher and we'd say, you know, we want an author to come down. And they say, well, we have somebody with a new non-prescription drug book and we'll be happy to send them down. There was this conception that nothing much happened in Miami, that it was filled with older people. And if people were here, they were going to the beach and there was something not very serious about what was going on. There weren't serious readers here. And I grew up in Miami and I had that very same feeling. But as soon as I opened up the bookshop, I realized, whoa, there's people here as sophisticated as anywhere else in the country. And as soon as writers started coming and seeing and experiencing Miami in the 80s and the 90s, many writers moved to Miami. And then writers from Miami began to develop national followings. People like Carl Hyacin and Dave Barry and Les Standiford and Jim Hall and so many others. And that combined with the fact that a number of the universities began really terrific writing programs. FIU, under Les Stanford's direction, they graduated Dennis Lehane, for instance. University of Miami has an amazing writing program. And then writers just started moving here, like Edwidge Danticat, an amazing, amazing writer who's from Haiti, Campbell McGrath, a Kingsley Award-winning poet, John Dufresne, Thomas Harris, who wrote Silence of the Lambs, lives here now. So, people began to understand that Miami was a place that they could live. And and I think there's something about the craziness down here that energizes people. We now have the wonderful writer Kristen Arnett, who lives down here. Her new book is called White Teeth that'll be coming out. So, you know, there's something so kind of wacky and serious. Miami is the precursor. It's always been the kind of Petri dish where the rest of the country has learned from with its immigration, with its drugs. I also think beauty, fashion, food, like there's something really Well, that beautiful. came later. Yeah. So tell me about that. You know, with all the crumbling, beautiful Art Deco buildings on Miami Beach, all of a sudden, I saw German fashion photographers turn up with models. This was before Miami Vice. And they were using the kind of weird, decaying Art Deco buildings as backgrounds. Then Miami Vice happened. And Miami Vice, you know, with all of its colors, became such a hit that the colors of Miami became so fashionable. And then Art Deco got rediscovered. And there was a big Save Art Deco movement going on. And then you have Miami also with its Latin community here, with its music, with its food, with so much. And so you're right. The mixture of fashion, music, art, and then, of course, Art Basel over the last 10 years began to draw a huge crowd of people to Miami who normally wouldn't have come. And for me, you can imagine, as someone who grew up on Miami Beach, for me, it's as if I'm walking on the moon because Miami Beach, when I grew up, the median age was 68. And if one car went over the bridge in an hour, that would have been a lot. 
there was no tourism really. There's a wonderful uh, documentary out that I recommend to people if they want to see what kind of old Miami Beach was like. It's called The Last Resort. And you can find it on any of your streamers. And Last Resort, was, it's a doc, and it's really, really good. That kind of describes that Miami of the 70s and 80s. I'm going to make sure it's in our show notes so our listeners can find it. Now, you've got this just amazing book empire that you've created with the bookstores and the book fair. But that isn't enough for you because you're also a filmmaker and a podcaster. So tell us about that. Well, I've always loved movies and it's just part of my DNA. And as I started getting further into the book business, it became so clear that so many books were used as the intellectual property to make a film. And I started playing the game. Every time that I would see a book, I go, oh, this would make a great film. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. And I finally found a book that I said, you know, why not? I'm going to give it a shot. And it was a book called The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. I know it's a mouthful, but it came out and I optioned it with a friend named Paula Mazur. The book became a huge bestseller. And we went on to make a movie with Lily James and Mike Newell directed it. And it did really, really well. And since, you know, we've made four films, we have a fifth in process. We just came out with one this past year during the pandemic, which did very well, even though it was the pandemic. It was called Let Him Go. And it starred Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. And it was directed by Tom Bazooka. And now we're moving into television. So we just optioned a number of phenomenal books, but one particularly called Year of Dangerous Days, which is Miami in 1980. And it's a nonfiction account of what was happening and just what you said, those pre-fashion days. In 1980, Miami was at the lowest point it ever was. Time Magazine had an article headline, a cover story saying, Miami paradise lost with a question mark. So this describes what Miami in 1980 was like. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that period of Miami's history. That's really cool. But what I love about this empire that you've built is it's all built on storytelling. Like this is core and critical to everything you've done. And I think it's only recently that people have talked about storytelling being like a real economic driver. But I think if you're creative, you know this. People are just clamoring for stories well told and you're serving it up for them, whether it's it's a movie, a book, or now your podcast. Well, that's exactly right. And it's the same thing with my podcast, like your podcast, which I love. My podcast is one in which we just have a conversation. I have a conversation with people who wander into my life. So it's called The Literary Life with Mitchell Kaplan, and you can find it wherever podcasts are. So it's really fun to be able to tell those stories and hear people's stories being told. What I tell writers all the time, and what I tell most people is, in this day and age, the closer you can be to the content, the better off you are in terms of where we are right now. Because as you know, things are changing so quickly as to how we're getting our content. The future of work is here and boy, it's full of buzzwords for job seekers. Gig economy, micro learning, the fourth industrial revolution. What does it even mean? That's what I want to know. That's why my friend Mary Ellen Slater and I are holding the Shift Career Summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work, such as Lindsay Pollock, Minda Hartz, Neil Irwin, and so many other great thinkers who are helping people like you take control of your career. This isn't another boring webinar. 
When we put together the lineup of the all-stars who are going to help you work at the intersection of purpose and meaning, Mary Ellen and I had one rule, no scrubs. The Shift Career Summit is completely free and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. That's shiftdigitalcareers.com and I'll look forward to seeing you on June 17th. Well, I would love to talk about storytelling and businesses in this age of COVID, right? I think everybody is having a different COVID experience based on industry, based on geography, just based on their general attitude. So what's your COVID experience been like as Mitchell Kaplan? Well, it's been a challenge to say the least. We had to close the stores down for a couple of months. Wait, wait, can I interrupt? Did you have to? Was it mandated or did you choose to? No, nothing in Florida is mandated. Yeah, I didn't think so. so. Yeah. (laughs) So why'd you make that choice to close your bookstores? Well, it was really dangerous. You know, in March, we didn't know what was going to happen. And CDC suggested, and we decided to follow those guidelines. And we just closed down. Fortunately, we were able to pay our staff. You know, we were able to get some PPP loans at the time, but it was really, really difficult. And then one of the things that our bookstore is known for is, I told you, we had 400 authors coming in a year. What happened is that even when we opened, we couldn't gather in the very same way. So our business suffered. So what we did is like so many other people, we pivoted and we became an online bookshop as well as a physical bookstore. And our online store now has basically is like our second highest growth bookstore. And so with the pivot, it was so beautiful to see our community come together. As you know, because you were on one, we also pivoted with our events. Our events became virtual. But I have to say as an author, you know, it was my dream to go down to Miami and to travel all over, right? And do these events. But I have to say, working with Books and Books, I mean, your staff made it feel like such an important event anyway. And, you know, really gave me a great experience as an author. And I think there's just something really important about experience. Even though it's not the same, you can still treat someone like like a king or a queen and make it a special moment. Well, I'm so glad you articulated that because that is what we try to do. It's just that we don't go out for a drink afterwards. That's the only thing. Believe me, we're drinking here all the time, no matter what. (laughs) And you know, you'll come down again. So you'll come down on the next round. I'm so excited to do that. Well, so you've pivoted like everybody else in the world with COVID, but you aren't just running a bookstore, several bookstores. You're also running a book fair and you know, you've got your filmmaking business. So what, what's life like for you? Well, the book fair had to go virtual. So we did a virtual book fair. And then it was very interesting bringing a film out during COVID because we brought our film, the studio we worked with was Focus Features and Focus decided that they were going to bring it out into the theaters. So we were one of the first films to actually be in theaters in November. And for a couple of weekends, we were the number one box office film, which sounded great, but this was during the COVID period, which- I would still take that. I think that's I am. Because it then went, and then they pivoted it over onto the PVOD and then the streamers. And it's been in the top 10 downloads for over a month already. So that's been quite good. When you're working on a film for so long, 
you want everybody to gather at a premiere. And we weren't able to do that. So it was a little bit disconnected, you felt. I felt like what an author feels when they had a book published. Basically. Yeah, that's a great word, disconnected, because I think one of the beautiful things about art is the community that it creates. And no matter how many times people try to approximate community over Zoom, we're doing the best we can. It's just no substitute. You agree with me on that? Most definitely. You know, even though I get to see you and we get to be there, but normally when you're on my podcast, which I hope will be soon, what you would do is we'd have lunch in the bookshop and we'd be munching on food or something like that or have a coffee. And, you know, then we would just be talking. But Zoom is the next best thing, I guess. I guess. Absolutely. Well, I wonder what's next for you because, you know, some states are starting to emerge out of this COVID fog that we have. Some people are moving forward. They're connecting. I myself am being careful, but other people are going full-throated ahead into their lives. So tell me what's next for you and your businesses. Well, we're going to be careful because Florida, unfortunately, the governor, he's made it a political issue here. So we're going to still be very, very careful. We're not having any in-person events. But I do believe by the late summer, early fall, I think things will be brighter. I'm hoping that we're going to have a physical book fair this year where people will come on down. I'm very hopeful. I do see people coming out, people who are vaccinated, the bookshops crowded at certain times and socially distanced crowded, but people are coming. People hunger for community. I think you said it earlier, and I think that's what it all is. That's what COVID has taught me, that we can't live in a bubble. Well, you know, I love your optimism, but I'm not surprised because as an entrepreneur, you have to have that strain. I mean, you have to be realistic and sometimes a little cynical, but you have to be an optimist. You have to believe in yourself, in your people, in your community. Otherwise, you're never going to survive and ultimately thrive. So I like that you're realistic, but you're not down and you're not out about what this pandemic has done to you or to your business. No. You know, the old cliche about finding opportunity in hardship is what we're trying to do. I think we'll be stronger when we come out. You know, I've had to look at every aspect of my business in a way that I never did before. And at the same time, with our events and with our sense of community, we are able to do some things virtually that we may continue to do, which will bring people from far and wide together. We may do hybrid events. I can see doing an event in the store live, but with a virtual audience as well, or have a virtual conversant, somebody from somewhere else conversing with a live author. I mean, there's so much we now can try to do in that sense. Plus, before, we never really thought of our website as a place to sell books from. But now we've really learned how to do it. Absolutely. Did you say it was your number two equal to your number two grossing yeah, score? Yeah, it's probably grossing number two right now. And that really comes from support. I mean, it's sort of interesting. I mean, it's so beautiful to know that the community has expanded worldwide. I mean, we get orders from all over the country and sometimes all over the world, people who bumped into us one way or another. So that's been really a good thing. And then also, I just can't talk about my staff too much. They are remarkable in terms of what they've been able to do. They're all struggling in their own right, personally. And yet what they've given to the bookstore is really, really something very special to keep it going. Well, as we know, when you show up for your workforce as a leader, they'll show up for you. And it sounds like that's the relationship that you've cultivated with your staff, that there's mutual respect, you're rallied around a mission, and that there's a love of readers and a love of books. Yeah. And I'm very proud of the fact that we have some very longtime staff people. We have people who've worked for us right out of college for almost 30 years now. And it's very gratifying to have this family, this literary family, of which you're a part of, too. Well, 
I have to say, as we wrap up the conversation, I cannot wait to come down and say hello in real life. What I used to take for granted, a quick trip from Raleigh to Miami is now like something I am clamoring for. So I welcome the opportunity to see you when the fog clears. And thanks again for the opportunity to speak to your audience and for being a guest today on Punk Rock HR. Thank you so much. And congratulations on such a wonderful podcast as well. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. As always, the show notes are where it's at for information, links, resources, and you can find them all at laurierudeman.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget, this episode of Punk Rock HR was sponsored by the Shift Career Summit. That's right, happening on June 17th. It is the place to go to hear from all the experts, no scrubs, to help you take control of your career. Head on over to shiftdigitalcareers.com for more information. That's shiftdigitalcareers.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode of Punk Rock HR. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.